Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to this very special podcast. It's me, John Campia. Um, and this is a little bit different. Uh, if the sound doesn't sound quite as good, it's because I don't have any of my good microphones here. I'm literally just recording this into a uh, my laptop here in Las Vegas. I'm in my hotel room in Caesars Palace. I'm out here for the World Series of Poker. I come out and play in it every year. And I played in the tournament I was going to play in today. I played in the $5 million reunion tournament. It was a $500 buy-in. And while I lasted until the final 40% of the entrance, I did get knocked out. I got knocked out about uh, eight hours into the tournament. And you know what? Perfectly fine. I had a great time. I played pretty darn well. Uh, I had my aces cracked at one point. That kind of hurt me and set me back a little bit. But then I had aces that actually held up. So that was pretty good too. So yeah, I had a good run. And I'll play a little bit more while I'm out here. But that was the one big tournament I was going to play in while I was here. But when I was pulling into Vegas last night, I jumped on Twitter. And by the way, if you guys aren't following me on Twitter, just follow me simply at John Campia. And I asked, hey guys, I'm going to record an Ask Me Anything podcast later. Have a question, respond to this tweet, and I'll answer the question. The question's with the most likes first. Well, it turns out a lot of you guys don't want to like anybody else's questions, so there's not a lot of uh, ones with a lot of likes. So I'll just read as many as I can. So uh, let's not waste any time and get right to it. All right, first up, we got one here from Atreyu Aren, who writes, Do you think the opening night box office of Venom had to do with its short runtime? Um, I don't think so, because a shorter runtime would give it more screenings, yes. But that only becomes a factor if you're talking about a movie that, like, every movie theater was packed. You know what I mean? At, like, as long as there are seats for everybody who wants to go, having those extra screen times, I don't really think makes that big of a difference. And since right now, you know, not all theaters are getting packed out, right now I don't think it was that big, made that big of a difference. But hey, I could be wrong about that. All right, Sulman Fayez writes, I've had so much surprises spoiled this year because I went on YouTube to watch something completely unrelated and recommendations were of videos of new projects with the surprises as the thumbnail. I'm getting really tired of this. What can we do about it? Unfortunately, nothing. I hate that. I hate when like a big significant spoiler. Now granted, as long as we're talking about something that hasn't been made completely public knowledge in the news or on IMDb or something, but I just don't understand people or some of these channels that like will just literally just put the spoiler right on the thumbnail when it's not public knowledge and you're just scrolling through YouTube and then boom, there's the thumbnail right there. I, 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 the only thing I can say to do about it is just make sure you never visit those YouTube channels. And if enough, pe if enough people do that, maybe it will stop them from uh, doing that because that you're right, that's, that's kind of crappy for them to do. All right, next up, Joshua Craig writes, as someone who's wanted to make movies since I was a kid, how do you recommend getting started? Along with that question, how do you go about getting a film financed? It seemed like it would be a very long... Uh, long-winded pr procedure, but I don't think the process gets talked about enough. Well, listen, Joshua, I, that's obviously not something I can sit here and talk about in an answer in 30 seconds, and I'm not going to do a 30-minute <laughs> dissertation on it. Look, if you hop on Amazon, there's a lot of books out there and on getting your, if you're an independent filmmaker, on, on getting films financed and how to do that. Now, every film I have done I have, for the most part, self-financed. Now, my movie, The Anniversary, I did get some financing from that from a financial partner, but I also financed a bunch of it myself. Uh, but the best thing to do for you is, since I 
normally self-finance, uh, I would say go find one of those books. I've read a number of them myself. You get a lot more information out of there than I would. As far as getting started, look at going to film school, man. It's not an absolute prerequisite, but it's a great start. You'll start off ahead of most other people if you uh, go to film school. So that's my opinion on that at any rate. All right, Aaron Zolzel writes, is there anyone that filters super chats and tip questions and how often do you get inappropriate ones that you have to dismiss? Yes, I do have some people that will go through. Now, let me, let me back up just a bit. Sometimes when we're pretty much all caught up on all the uh, super chat and, and tip questions, I'll just read them live. But what normally happens is that I have somebody go through them and put them together in a uh, Google Doc and they go through and remove any ones that are inappropriate. And inappropriate can be anything. I mean, inappropriate can be like, for example, somebody writes in and asks for personal legal advice on a matter that isn't of interest to any of the other listeners. That kind of stuff will get removed because that's not conducive to what our show is about. Like we want to talk about topics that several or at least a good number of our listeners are also interested in hearing about and hearing a discussion about. Uh, from that to, you know, we've had situations where we've had to remove questions because somebody had written in a question before and I gave an answer and they didn't like my answer. So they wrote in again to argue with me about it, which, which is fine. That's it's, it's discussion. It's all good. And I would respond to it, but then they keep tr writing in, trying to carry on the same argument, like over and over, like just keep it going and going and going. And at that point, we'll just stop putting them in because now it's just becoming argumentative. Not now, because at that point, They've already expressed their, their point of view, and I've already expressed mine, and we've had a little bit of back and forth, but just dragging it out just makes it argumentative, and I don't think anybody likes listening to stuff like that. And then there's, you know, of course, abusive stuff, like whether it's abusive towards me or Rob, or what happens quite often is like abusive towards other listeners. Like, how come you take questions from this person? Their, question, their questions are dumb. So yeah, so those things. So, But it doesn't happen a ton. I'd say maybe two or three a week, like maybe one out of every hundred questions that get sent in are ones that we have to kind of filter out. And, and that's why in the description of all of our YouTube videos, we say, look, when you send in a tip question, you're not buying a question getting asked. You're tipping. You're tipping and supporting the channel. And as our way of saying thank you for tipping and supporting the channel, we're going to read one of your questions, although we are not obligated to read them because, again, 99% of them are perfectly fine, but every once in a while, one comes through that we don't think is appropriate for the show, and we reserve the right to not read those. So that's why we write it out specifically in the description of the videos that, hey, listen, when you send in a tip and ask a question, you're not buying a question. Like, you, by sending in that five bucks or seven bucks or whatever, we are now not obligated to ask your question on air, even if we feel it's inappropriate for the show. And so, uh, yeah, so again, hardly ever, maybe one out of every hundred, maybe sometimes two out of every hundred, maybe just a couple of times a week. So it doesn't actually happen that often. All right, thanks a lot for writing that in, man. Uh, next up, we got uh, Is Me Mario <laughs> writes, um, is there a duo of actors you wish to see in a movie together? Uh, like, I would love to see a Tom Cruise and Dwayne Johnson movie. Um, not really. I mean, I guess I don't often try to do fan castings. Like, you know that. I'll often say I don't care about X actor and X role. But if, I, if you could be like any two actors that I would just like see working together, not in any specific movie, but just two actors working together. Well, I guess I would have to say 
the great, the goat of goats, the greatest of all time, bar none, no, no questions asked, Daniel Day-Lewis, with my favorite actor, Russell Crowe. So yes, I guess I would say I would like to say, see the goat and my favorite together on the screen. I think that would be kind of fun to see. All right, thanks for that question, is me, Mario. Next up, Jennifer uh, Kirane writes, I was looking at the World Series of Poker site, and they have a bunch of events. Which ones do you participate in? Good luck. Well, this year, I participated in a new event. It was called Event Number 4, known as the Reunion Tournament. It was a $5 million tournament, uh, no hold'em limit, a no limit hold'em, I should say, for a $500 buy-in, and that's the one I participated in. Now, normally what I do is they have daily deep stack tournaments at the World Series, because it runs like six or seven weeks. And I'll buy into those, and if I cash in those tournaments, that means I finished high enough that I actually won money. If I cash in those tournaments, I'll use that winning to buy into a bracelet event. A bracelet event is one of the official World Series poker events at the series where if you win, you literally get a World Series bracelet. These are the most desirable ones, but they're often expensive. Usually the cheapest one to get buy into is $1,000. There's actually one event that's $100,000 to buy into. It's only one of those. And then I think a couple that are $25,000 to buy into, but then there's the main event. The main event, that's the one everybody thinks of when they think of the World Series. That's a $10,000 buy-in. Um, and uh, yeah, I do not often get into that. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. you. You won't find me in that one. Not this year especially. But mm. but uh, yeah, the one I played in this year was event number four, the reunion event, the $5 million one for $500 buy-in. I did pretty well, actually. I played very well. I did not cash. Only the top, I think only the top 12% cash. So I did not get into the top 12%, but I had a great time, Jennifer. Thanks for asking. All right, Christopher Gray writes, I really enjoy following people like you because of the cool content. So my question is, what inspired you to pursue this? Oh, well, I mean, really basic, put very basically, I am a movie fanatic. I, I have been a movie fanatic my whole life, ever since my mom first showed me Star Wars. And I'm also a sports fanatic. Like I love sports talk radio. And I love ESPN, and when I was living in Canada, I loved TSN and that kind of stuff. And I often found that I like talking about my movies the way me and my friends would also talk about sports. And so I, you know, just because I love movies so much, I started a website called The Movie Blog as a Hobby. And I've told this story many times, but, you know, that grew and grew and grew. And then AMC asked me if I would come and run an online thing for them. Um, and I did, and we established Movie Talk. And... Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, I've been passionate about movies ever since I was a child. I mean, that's all I can tell you. So I'm, I'm one of these very lucky guys that I get to participate in the thing I'm passionate about as a career. So I'm very lucky that way. Thanks for that, Christopher. Appreciate that, man. All right. Chris Topher, totally different guy from the last Christopher, writes, Hey, John, I was just wondering if you've been enjoying the new season of Doom Patrol and if you've watched only murders in the building yet. Okay, so I have not started watching the new season of Doom Patrol yet. So I'm saving that for when I get back from Las Vegas. So I'm, I'm going to be getting on that because I love Doom Patrol. I'm, I, I'm crazy about that show. So I'll be getting on that when I get back. And yes, I have watched the first couple of episodes of Only Murders in the Building. Uh, my wife has and got tired of waiting for me. So she went ahead and she's all caught up on it. I'm not caught up on it yet, but I'm really liking it. And of course, Anytime you get two out of the three amigos in there, so you, you got Martin Short and you got Steve Martin in there, um, it's 
it's fantastic. And I've been really enjoying it so far and I, I look forward to getting caught up on it and so I can catch up to my wife. All right, Don writes, Thoughts on CW's iZombie? I don't watch it. Um, if you haven't seen it, it's similar to Lucifer, but instead of hell and angels, it's zombies and brains. It's really fun, and Rose McLevier and Raul Coley are legends. Yeah, I, I am... Listen, you know what's funny? I don't know if you guys have been following me long enough to... Back when I was the, um, uh, the COO of, uh, of the stream... And for a while there, when we were shooting the John Campus show out of the stream studios, and uh, love Susan, who's who's like the owner there. I love Susan. She's great. Anyway, we had offices in Hollywood, and in the same, and the building we had our offices in was all for production, like studios and whatever. And so three doors down, literally, I'm not kidding, three doors down from us was the creative writer's room the office for the uh, iZombie writing team and production as well. But that being said, I have never seen the show, so I don't know the first thing about it. And I've had a few people tell me I should check it out, so maybe I will at some point. All right. Thanks for writing that in, Don. All right. Uh, John Gilf Gilfoyle writes, um, well, you said spoilers for Venom 2. Well, I'm not going to read them out loud. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to read, I'm not going to read it out loud, John, because just because you say spoiler alert, well, I mean, now I can't read it for anybody who's listening to this podcast that hasn't seen the movie yet. So sorry about that. All right. Um, ballistics writes, well, he starts off spoiler for Venom. So obviously I can't read it, unfortunately, because there are people listening to this that haven't watched Venom yet. Uh, Dan Remner writes, uh, you're my friend's favorite critic. Oh, that's nice to know. And favorite person on YouTube for over a decade. Oh, thanks for that. Uh, he was wondering if you're seeing an advanced screening for Dune. He highly anticipates both the movie and your review. I don't know yet. Um, I, I, I honestly, I don't know. Now, I, I used to get invitations to every single screening anywhere, anytime. But I've gone like a couple of years of ignoring most screening invitations. So um, some of the PR people still send them to me on a regular basis. Some don't. So I don't know if I'm going to see Dune early or not. I'm guessing I'll probably get an early screening invitation um, for Dune. It is a big one and they want a lot of attention for it. So I probably will. But, but if I don't, I'm not going to ask for one. I'll just wait till it comes out and watch it on opening day. But yeah, I'm very excited for Dune. It's my number one most anticipated movie of the year. Cannot wait to watch it. All right, thanks for that, Dan. Next up, uh, Mohamed Drez writes, uh, leading question, uh, do you see your desire for the extended Star Wars universe tank because of the last movie, Who Shall Not Be, made, uh, who shall not be Named? No, no, I, I, am, I am still perfectly open. Like, listen, I've always wanted the Star Wars movies to move forward. Like, don't get me wrong. My favorite movies of all time are the original Star Wars trilogy. New Hope, Empire, Return of the Jedi. The three, to me, the three greatest movies of all time, my all-time favorites, nothing beats them. But it's time to move on from Luke, Han, and Leia. And, and I thought that even before The Last Jedi, even before The Rise of Skywalker, you know, and I hate that movie, but um, even before that, I was thinking, I want the Star Wars story to move forward. Or at least tell us stories that are separate 
from the main storylines and the main characters we've already we've always seen and always known. So no, I, I am as interested as ever in expanding the Star Wars universe. I always have been. And I say that as a diehard where Luke Skywalker is my favorite character and all that kind of stuff. But I, yeah, I want them to expand. I want them to keep moving forward. That's just me, of course. All right, thanks for writing that in. Uh, Raul Darth uh, Seditious writes, do you think the air cut exists? Eh, personally, I don't. Uh, and have you uh, read something? Have you heard something about DC fandom? Well, we've heard lots of stuff about DC fandom. Robert Pattinson just the other day was talking about how him and Zoe Klavitz have been making, made something really special to be shown there. So I listen, DC fandom, they did a really good job on that last year. I, I didn't know how it was going to be as a digital only event. And by the way, Digital-only events still absolutely suck compared to real, live, in-person events, but they did a hell of a job with that DC fandom last year. They really did. It'd be a thousand times better if it was actually really live and in-person, but they did a terrific job, and I think they're going to bring some really cool special things this year. All right, next up. Uh, Dan Dax, I should say, Ingram writes, uh, when you started out on YouTube, did you have a regular day job, and what advice would you give... Uh, on how to balance these. Yeah. Well, well, actually, you know, I'll, I'll say it instead of YouTube. When I started in this stuff, it wasn't particularly on YouTube. It was blogging, but I did have a full-time job and I was going to school. Like I was, I went back to school, um, to go study law and I was working in a law firm full-time and, and I was doing my blog. So like I was literally waking up super early, writing a couple of posts, at lunch, grabbing my laptop, writing more posts, coming home, writing more posts, then recording a podcast a couple of times a week. I mean, it was like I was working two full-time jobs plus going to school. As far as how to strike balance, I mean, I don't know. I'm certainly no expert in that. Um, I don't particularly think I do a great job at striking a balance. I still don't know if I do a great job at striking about, so though I do try very, very hard uh, to do that. Look, if it's not your full-time job, don't treat it like your full-time job. And dedicate time to it that you can afford to dedicate to it. Don't go crazy or else you're just gonna, you know, get discouraged and stop doing things altogether. All right, now we go over to Justin Yamouth writes, I know you and Rob said towards the beginning of the pandemic that the straight-to-stream or same-day releases would be the death of movie theaters. Seeing the resurgence of people wanting and supporting the theater now, do you still agree? Thank you. Oh, yeah. I mean, what? And I think the studios are realizing, because not only was it, would it have been the death of movie theaters, it would have crippled the movie business. The movies make so much money being in theaters. And see, see here's the thing. Short-sighted people go, but John, they can make money on streaming too. And short-sighted people think it's either or. You see, the model that works best, and Disney is starting to recognize this, Sony recognizes this, and I think you're seeing other studios start to figure this out too. The best model is making sure you put movies out in a theatrical exclusive window first, make tons of money there, and then put it on streaming later. So everybody wins, and you get multiple points of contact as far as making money. Like, I think they've realized that now because they're looking at Shang-Chi that got they released in a pandemic, for heaven's sakes. They made tons of money on that because it's in the black now. It's, it's now officially profitable. So they're making money on it. And now they're going to put it on now because it had this 
big, great, successful theatrical run. Now they can make a big deal out of it. November 12th coming to Disney Plus, and they're already doing a big marketing push for that. So they're going to get benefits from that too. That's the best model. And uh, yeah, I'm just happy to see that these studios are starting to figure this out. All right, next up, the movie nerd writes. Uh, you're a studio exec who has a choice to make either one of these. You have $150 million. Any actor, choose. Bucky O'Hare, eh. Visionaries, eh. Brave Star, eh. Thundercats, yep. Captain Planet, no. Thundercats, easy. I've always thought you could do a great Thundercats movie. Uh, listen, I know I'm in the minority here. I honestly think a well-properly-done Thundercats movie would could be better and more successful than a He-Man movie. And I've had a lot of arguments with friends of mine over that, but I truly, truly believe that. So I'm, I'm going to go with Thundercats on that one, movie nerd. All right. D.D. writes, Did the fact that CAA, Scarlett Johansson's agency, and ICM merging speed the settlement with Disney along? No, not at all. Uh, I find the fact that Chapek gave the head of CAA the have your people call my people routine a fatal mistake. Oh, it was a fatal mistake, and it cost them tens of millions of dollars. Like I said, Scarlett Johansson's people were probably willing to settle for getting $20 million for Disney, from Disney, to make up for the fact that they were skipping the, the traditional theatrical exclusive release. But instead of just sitting down and talking with Scarlett Johansson's people, they decided to brush them off, ignore them, not talk to them. Then they started insulting Scarlett Johansson publicly in, in the media and everything like that. And ultimately now Deadline is saying... Deadline reports that they had to pay over $40 million. Plus, now we're hearing about these new projects they have. So you know giving her new projects was part of it too. So yeah, ScarJo totally cleaned up. But I honestly don't think the CAA and ICM merger really had anything to do with that speeding along. But I think it just had more to do with them realizing, wow, they really screwed this up like a lot. A lot, a lot. Okay, next up. Uh, uh, Jerry Mannion writes... How often do you play tabletop RPGs like D&D uh, or the West End game Star Wars RPG? And do you have other favorites? Also, would you ever consider doing a special video or podcast where you talk about tabletop roleplay gaming? Nah, there's, I, I wouldn't do that it's simply because there's already so many of those out there and so many really good ones out there. I don't think I'd have a lot to offer that isn't already out there. And I also have a lot of people say, hey, you should live stream when you play games. Nah, because then nobody's going to feel comfortable. Like, that's that's great for me to stream, right? But if I went to, like, my five or six friends that were getting together to sit down and role-playing game and say, hey, how do you feel about being on camera and having thousands of people watching and listening to you as you're playing a game? They don't want to do that. They want to come and get together with some friends and relax and not have to be really careful about what they say or all that kind of stuff because you're on camera and streaming to the world. So I wouldn't do stuff like that. Um, we, we played weekly. I mean, granted, the pandemic really did put a damper on our gaming. And so I honestly haven't sat down and played a tabletop RPG probably in about a year. But, 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 uh, we do have a couple of games that we're planning already. So we're about to get back into, uh, into the stream of things. So anyway, so thanks for asking that, man. I appreciate that. All right. The Movie Nerd writes, so with Detective Pokemon, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog, Super Mario Brothers getting the big screen treatment and meet with success... 
you know, except for Mario at the moment. How long do you think until the more prominent heavy hitters like Call of Duty, Hello Michael Bay, God of War, Halo, etc., finally come out? Well, I mean, listen, we've already got major heavy hitters on the way. I mean, just the other day on the John Campy show, we were talking about um, Last of Us, right? Listen, if Last of Us is done well, and it's being done by HBO, simply they are, I mean, there's an argument to be made for Netflix, I suppose, but to me, and Netflix is very, very good at it, don't get me wrong, they're great at it, but HBO is simply, bar none, they are the best at creating iconic television series. They're the best. They are the all-time best. That's all they do. They just crank out super high quality every time. So the fact that HBO is the one doing it, um, plus just, just the source material of Last of Us is so good and so great. You know, when that comes out, I think that is going to burst open a dam. I think that's going to be really big and really successful. And I think that's going to burst. And by the way, there's a lot of game content already in development. Like just, we got Uncharted coming, right? Mark Wahlberg and Tom Holland, we got Uncharted coming. So, and a number of other big high-profile projects. So they're already on the way, movie nerd. They're already on the way. All right. Uh, Reggie's Take writes, uh, Everyone wants to see Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield so bad in Spider-Man No Way Home that if they don't, will fans feel the movie was a failure no matter how great the movie might actually be? Stupid people will. Yeah, and listen, there are stupid people out there. Uh, listen, whenever you... I, I've, I've been saying this for a while. And I swear I want to make this a t-shirt. And I, and I feel like every film fan should tattoo this on their arm. It is okay to speculate. But you sh don't let speculation become expectation. Because once you're, you as a film fan start putting expectations on a movie, like this movie has to do this and it has to do this. It's like, I'll tell you what, Einstein, how about you go to film school and you make the movie then? Oh, that's right, because you don't know how to make movies and nobody will hire you to do it. You, you know what I mean? So now don't get me wrong. I personally do think Toby and Andrew will be in it, but I don't expect them to be in it. Because what happens is when you let... Um, speculation become expectation. Expectation becomes a prerequisite. And what I mean by that is now there are people who thought maybe Andrew and Toby could be in it. And now they've convinced themselves to be in it. And now they've talked themselves into thinking as well, if they're not in it, this movie's going to suck. It's like, that's, that's stupid. Look, I'm, I'm just going to tell you straight up. That's stupid. That is really, really stupid thinking. Watch a movie and evaluate it on its own merits. This movie does not need to have Andrew Garfield or Tommy McGuire. It doesn't need them. There have been a lot of really good Spider-Man movies, and none of them have had Tom Holland, Andrew Garfield, and Tommy McGuire all at the same time. And if you're one of these movie fans who's like, if it doesn't do this, I'm not going to like it. Well, then you're an idiot. <laughs> I'm sorry, but you're an idiot. Like, it, it, just go into a movie and, and see what the story the filmmakers have to tell. And if the story doesn't work for you, fair enough. Fair play. But if it does, if it's a really great movie and they tell a great story, don't go, yeah, well, they did this great, oh, sure, and maybe even win Academy Awards, but they didn't put Andrew and Toby in it, so I'm going to cry. I mean, that's, yeah. And there will be some people like that. There will. But they really shouldn't. And again, I say that as somebody who kind of believes they will be in it, but it's not going to bother me if they're not. Not going to bother me if they're not. All right. Uh, next up. Geotaku writes, 
What's a comic book series apart from DC slash Marvel that you would like to see get adapted for a film or TV show? Oh, I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you. I mean, listen, I've read a ton of comics growing up, but I'm not going to lie to you. I was like most kids. I was reading DC or Marvel comics. Those Now, I've read a couple of the other ones, yes, but I'm not an expert on those ones at all. I was a mainstream comic book reader like most people who are comic book readers are, right? Oh. So, yeah, I don't really have one that jumps out. I don't really have one that jumps out to me as to one I would really want to see, at least not off the top of my head. All right, Ruben Reyes writes, Seems like both Marvel and DC will show the multiverses within the next two years. Do you think this will be a chance to bring back some bigger name actors from time to time without a huge time and money commitment? Um, here's the thing. Both Marvel and DC have shown that they don't need multiverse as an excuse to bring back characters. Like Marvel's been the Marvel fake death universe for a long time before they ever did multiverse. So it's not like, oh, wow, well, now that they have multiverse, now they have a reason, to, they, now they can bring back these, eh, they've never needed that reason. They've always done it without having it. So I constantly believe, like, for instance, Chris Evans is coming back. Robert Downey Jr. is coming back. Maybe not this year, maybe not next year, hell, maybe not even in three years, but they're coming back. And, it, and that that is a belief I've held long before there was ever multiverse. So I don't think it's something they need. If they want an actor to come back, they'll just write something and say, oh, uh, yeah, Spider-Man discovers the uh, tin can of soup of destiny. Yeah, that's what it is. It's the tin can of soup of destiny. And it gets hit by lightning and it brings back Iron Man. I mean, that's literally all Marvel has to do. They, they don't need multiverse to do it. So... They're going to do it, yes, but they were doing it already even without multiverse. That's my take on it at any rate. All right, thanks for that, Ruben. Uh, next up, uh, Sir, Pinko, or Sir Plinko writes, If you could have Daniel Day-Lewis, the greatest actor ever, arguably, I don't even think that's arguably, I think that's hands down, no discussion, no debate needed. Anyway, what comic book character or characters would you want him to play? Don't care. I, I don't do X actor and X role. Um, like, all I ever care about is make sure that you're filling the role with a really good actor. And since I don't know the screenplay, I will leave it up to the director and the, you know, the producers to decide if a particular gifted actor is a good fit or not. I haven't read the script, so I can't answer that question. Only they can. All I care about is are they a good actor? If you get Daniel Day-Lewis, he is the greatest actor of all time. I don't care what role you put him in. It's like, oh, you need to have him play this, I, I honestly don't have an opinion on that because he's Daniel Day-Lewis. I mean, obviously there are some characters he shouldn't play because, uh, I mean, it's just it's just not at remotely a good fit, but 90% but of comic book characters, yeah, make it Daniel Day-Lewis. He's the greatest actor of all time, so uh, yeah, let him take a run at it. All right. Uh, Ruben Reyes also writes, also big fan since the movie blog days. Thank you, Ruben. Uh, always loved your interaction with your Canadian friend, Doug. Yeah, I mean, so I, that and I've been talking a lot about Darren recently too. So I remember back in the day when I was doing the movie blog and we did the first movie podcast. It was called the movie blog audio edition. Uh, it was uh, me, Darren, Doug and Bruxy. And I miss, I, I'm not going to lie to you, man. I miss those days. <laughs> those, those were good days doing those things. All right, next up. Blue Shadows writes, 
Hey, John, any guess as to whether James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender would return as Professor X and Magneto? These two were perfection in those roles. Um, I'm going to guess no. And the reason I'm guessing no is because you don't write your stories based on what actor you want playing them. You, in other words, what I always say, right? The characters and the stories are not there to serve the actors. The actors are there to care, uh, to, to uh, serve the characters and the stories. Story comes first. And if Kevin Feige's story is, I want the X-Men from the other universe in this one, which I don't believe at all he does, but you never know. You never know. But unless he's thinking that, then no, you don't just bring them back. So, oh, they were great. In that. Guess what? Listen, I agree. Michael Fassbender and James McAvoy were terrific in the roles of Eric and Charles. They were fantastic. But other actors can be fantastic in the roles too. And you don't base your story on the fact that, wow, we should get James McAvoy back. Okay, well, let's scrap all of our plans for X-Men and redo it because it's got to be the same Charles from the other universe now. You don't do that. The story comes first. And while Fassbender and McAvoy were great in the roles, I love them in those roles, other actors could be great in them too. So, hey, if the story calls for McAvoy and, um, and Fassbender, do it. If not, don't shoehorn them in there. That, that's kind of my take on it at any rate. All right, thanks for asking, Blue Shadows. Next up, uh, uh, Runak Mahato writes, I'm sorry for mispronouncing your name, man. Hey, John, I was wondering why you haven't still watched and reviewed Netflix's, uh, one of Netflix's best show, Dark. Dude, I'm busy. There's a thousand things to watch. Uh, and by the way, I would never review it now. I don't review things if I don't watch it pretty much almost immediately when it comes out. You know what I mean? Like, there's a certain period of time. So I, even if I do get around to watching Dark, and I did watch the first episode, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I liked it, but it didn't hook me. Like, I, I never felt this, this need to come back and watch a second episode. But I know a lot of people absolutely love the show. But I've got other things that I'm actually really interested in. I've got other things that I'm enjoying, and I've only got so much time in the day. But again, even if once I do get around to watching Dark, and I will at some point, but even once I do, I'm not going to be doing a review of it because it's far too late. Far too late. Um, so, yeah, there's that. Anyway, thanks for, for writing, man. But at some point, I will get around to dark, but it's probably not going to be for another year or two, unfortunately. All right. Next up comes from John, who writes, Did you watch the Ortega versus Golanowski, you think you mean Volanovsky uh, fight, uh, last weekend? It was one of the greatest fights of all time. Eh, no, it was a really good fight. I, I do not think it was one of the greatest fights of all time, but it was a really good fight. Uh, which UFC fight do you like the most? Well, I mean, obviously, the, the, the greatest and the most important, by the way, the most important fight in UFC history was Forrest Griffin versus Stefan Bonner. That was the fight that put the UFC on the map. Uh, that was the fight that put the UFC on the map. There have been several fantastic fights, but I am telling you what, uh, that... Uh, uh, JJ, Joanna Jojacek, I always mispronounce her last name, uh, but JJ, Joanna J, uh, versus, uh, um, uh, Zhang Wei Lei, is that, is that her name? I'm, I'm almost forgetting, but anyway, that fight, forget the fact that it was two female fighters, it was one of the greatest fights of all time, it is one of the greatest fights of all time, 
If you guys have never seen that fight, and it was a title fight at that, if you guys have never seen that fight, go back and watch it. Listen, I love Brian Ortega. He's a really cool dude to watch fight, but uh, he's he's clearly just a... He's one of the best in the world, but he's clearly not in the same league as the two best in the world at the weight, at the weight class. Okay? And that's... Um, the guy he just lost to, and the other guy he lost to, Holloway. And they're the two, I mean, they're the two guys who are above everybody else. And then Brian Ortega is probably the next one down. Like, he's super great, but he's still got a little bit more evolving to do before he's going to get back to, uh, he's going to get up to their level. Okay, next up. Eric Saylor writes, Without spoilers, what did you think of the Venom 2 post credit scene? Well, I'm not, I, I, okay, I'll say, I thought it was great. I'm not going to, you know, I can't, I can't describe it more, more than that. But yes, I did think it was great. I thought it was really, really great. All right, Carlos John um, Escobedo writes, Hey, John, I've been having the worst year ever, and man, your shows have been helping me get through life by getting me excited for movies every week since 2012. Thank you. Oh, thank you, man. I appreciate you. That makes me feel really good, man. Thank you so much for that. Uh, John and other crewmates, uh, since how long do you think you're going to keep doing what you're doing? Oh, that's oh, that's not a tiny question, is it? How long am I going to keep doing what I'm doing? I don't know. Um, because look, here's here's the reality. I've been doing this for a long time and I love what I do. Like I, I really love what I do. I, I love my job. I really do. But you know, I, I get it. People don't live in my house and they don't see how much work goes in to putting out the stuff that we put out. And so to a lot of people, they think, oh, it's just, he just sits down in front of a camera for an hour and a half a day or two hours a day. Wow. People don't see it. And I get it. I, I don't blame people. They're not here. They don't see what we do, whatever. But the reality is um, I work I work more hours every day than I ever did when I worked in, you know, visual effects or when I worked in construction or when I worked in law. I, I've, I've never put in as many hours as this. And I am now at the age, because I'm 49. I'm at the age now where... I'm starting to think about my exit strategy. You know what I mean? Um, don't get me wrong. You're not about to hear a John Campy retirement announcement anytime soon. But I'm, I'm just saying I'm starting to think about that. You know, it, it, just only within the last six months, I think, like during the pandemic is when I started thinking about that. Mm. Because before that, I just thought, I'll do this forever. But it's like, you know what? As much as I love this, I don't think I want to do it forever. At some point... I just want to, you know, I would love to be able to retire. I would love to be able, not anytime soon, not anytime soon, but I would love to be able to retire, do things that I just really enjoy. Um, I would love to also like be able to like, the first thing I'm going to do when I retire is find a, a charity and a cause that I really believe in that I can like work at part time for like 20 hours a week. I would love to do that. You know, Ann and I have both done a lot of work with underprivileged families. Uh, and, you know, on the show, we've done a lot of stuff for like uh, women and children's and family shelters and things like that. I would love to, you know, have no other responsibilities except for dedicated time to doing that for free. 
So, I mean, so I don't know. Maybe another three years. Maybe, look, as long as I'm still having fun, I know I sound like Tom Brady now, as long as I'm still having fun um, and I'm able to do this at a high level, and I, I personally think both are true. I think I'm, I listen, I'm not going to be falsely modest. I think I'm damn good at my job. I think I'm really good at my job. And I love my job. But uh, as long as I'm doing that, I'm totally happy to do it. But I don't know, maybe in three years, four years, five years, we'll see. And listen, I wouldn't mind transitioning. I mean, everybody would love to do this, and so would I. But, I, you know, whether or not I can or not, I would love to transition to producing movies. I would love that. And being a producer, right now, I'm not. I'm not really a filmmaker. I mean, I make some of my own personal private projects, but I'm not a filmmaker. And I think I would like to be someday, but I, I don't know. It's a good question, man. It's a big, broad ranging question. It's a good one, but it is the type of stuff I'm starting to think about these days. All right, next up. Raise the flag for the goat rights. If a beloved movie such as Shawshank Redemption, by the way, I think a top five greatest movie of all time. I really believe that. I think Shawshank Redemption is the top five greatest of all time. Uh, has one million fresh ratings and only one rotten. Can you say that objectively Shawshank is a good movie and that one person is objectively wrong? No, you can't because here's the thing, raise the flag. Every one of those positive reviews are subjective opinions. A collection of subjective opinions does not make something objectively true. Let me say that again. A collection of subjective opinions does not make something objectively true. And this is coming from me, a guy who believes that Shawshank Redemption is a top five greatest film of all time. Passionately believes that. Uh, but no, it's still just a movie. It's still just a piece of art. There is no empirical objective units of measurement you can apply to it to objectively say that this is an objectively good film. You just can't. It still surprises me today how many people don't understand this and aren't able to grasp this. But I mean, at, at, at the risk of, you know, treading over ground that we've treaded over before many, many times, it's simply this, for something to be objectively true, okay, you gotta be able to prove it. That's what makes it objective. You have to be able to empirically, by units of measurement, show that something is a fact. I can say that that tree is 10 feet, 7 inches tall. And guess what? There's proper, undisputable units of measurement that we can go out there and measure to see if that is indeed 10 feet, 7 inches tall. If a guy runs a 100-meter dash in, you know, 9.3 seconds... We have, you know, uh, units of measurement that cannot be disputed that we can use, empirical units of measurement that we can measure and prove that statement is either true or false, that that person ran the 100-meter dash in 9.3 seconds. There's no such thing as that with movies. It's all about your taste. It's all about a subjective impression. When a guy tells a joke, you might laugh and the guy next to you might not laugh. And you can't say to them, that joke was objectively funny. Because then I'd say to you, prove it. Prove with a unit of scientific measurement that that was funny. You can't because it doesn't exist. And a collection of subjective opinions, like, well, 99 out of 100 people thought it was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But 99 out of 100 people thought it was good. 
a collection of subjective opinions does not create an objective truth. So anyway, that's, that's my take on that. All right, thanks for asking, Rays. All right, Dylan's Dialogue writes, what was the movie or motivation that inspired you to start the movie blog? Um, it was really simple. I was, uh, I had started, I was living out in Saskatchewan, Canada. So a pretty good distance away from my, most of my family and friends back in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, right around Toronto. And so I was doing some blogging to keep my friends and family back home up to date with all the stuff I was doing in Saskatoon. When I realized that, you know, 80% of my blog posts are about movie stuff. I should just create a separate blog just to talk about my movie stuff. And I did. I, I registered the domain name, The Movie Blog, and I started blogging on it. And I did that as a, as a hobby for a while until I started, like, I think it was when I hit like 100, it was either 100,000 or 250,000 um, views per month that... Uh, some friends of mine held an intervention with me and said, hey, you need to quit your job and do this full time. You're having some success. I just got my first check from Google for $450. Woo! Yeah, I made a, I got, I got a big, big, big check from, from Google advertising for $450. And my friends convinced me to quit my day job and uh, pursue it full time. And I've never looked back since. So yeah, there's that. All right, thanks for that, Dylan. Uh, Spooky Zach is here, writes. Guess I'm not getting my question answered. Anyway, with it being Spooktober, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm answering your question right now. Uh, what would you say is your favorite underrated horror movie? Mine will always be the fourth kind. You know, it's funny you ask that, Spooky Zach, because I was just talking about it on the John Campus show the other day. Um, there is a little horror movie called uh, Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. It's incredible. It's absolutely fantastic. It's because it's on, on one hand, it's absolutely hilarious. It, it's okay. So it's, how do I describe it? Behind the mask, the rise of Leslie Vernon, for those of you who didn't hear me talk about it on the show the other day, it's basically this documentary crew that is following this guy named Leslie, Leslie uh, Vernon, who is in training to become the next great supernatural serial killer. And it, it's in a world that assumes that Jason and Freddy and Michael are, are real. They're real in this universe, right? And so this guy, Leslie Vernon, is preparing to become the next big supernatural serial killer. And he's already starting to stalk the kids he wants to stalk, like getting the groundwork done and studying them and all that kind of stuff, right? So the first half of the movie is comedic. It's funny. It's hilarious, actually. And while it's hilarious, it's also kind of a deconstruction of the horror genre itself. Personally, I think it does a better job at it than Scream does. I think it, it's just a fabulous example of deconstructing like the horror genre. Anyway, so the first half, really the first two thirds of the movie are just total comedies he's doing it. And then when you get into the third act, as Leslie Vernon is ready now to become Leslie Vernon and be, be put on the mask and now stalk and murder these kids... It, the movie shifts gears from a documentary style like The Office and Parks and Rec to a traditional horror movie style. And it does really good there. It's fantastic. It's wonderful. I love it. If you haven't checked out Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon Spooky, I highly recommend you give it a shot. All right. Uh, next up. Acknowledge the head of the T writes. 
Hey, Mr. Campia, been following you since AMC Movie Talk. Thank you so much for that, man. My question is, which story from Marvel's What If would be cool to see in live action? And how cool would it be if there was a Star Wars What If? I mean, uh, they're kind of doing a Star Wars What I mean, the Star Wars Visions is kind of a Star Wars What If. I mean, really, if you, if you break it down, Star Wars Visions is kind of its own little version of Star Wars What If. Just with different characters, right? Um, I don't know. See, which one would be have been great to see live action? I think the one that would have been really cool to see live action is the Hank Pym one. Like where, I mean, and I love that episode. I'm not saying it's better than the Doctor Strange episode, but I do love that Hank Pym episode. The, the whole idea of this, listen, everybody underestimates just how dangerous Hank Pym is. Like, in, in, especially in the MCU, the geniuses are the most dangerous people. And in that what if, it really did show us how easily Hank Pym could take out all the Avengers. And I think the way that story's laid out and the way it has all these different characters, I think that one could, would have been a, kind of a cool one in live action. I think that one would have been neat to see in live action at any rate. All right, next up. Uh, JCQ as... Azevedo writes, do you see this show coming to an end someday or are you keeping it running until you can't do it no more? Thanks. Well, somebody else was just asking that. No, I see it coming to an end at some point. Um, because I mean, I, I can't tell you when right now I don't see an ending right now because I'm, I'm having a great time doing it. I'm still able to do it at a pretty high level. Uh, and I'm having a great time, but yes, I do see it coming to a conclusion at some point. Uh, at some point, I'll want to try something new, whether that's moving more into like producing movies or whether it's getting more full-time into volunteer work or whether it's, you know, whatever. Uh, at some point, at some point. Now, again, I, I'm not saying it's going to be in the next three years or anything like that, but at some point, yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll definitely probably come to an end. Just like whatever it is you're doing right now, at some point, you're probably going to stop doing it, right? At, at, at some point. Whatever it is, the kind of things you like to do now, at some point you'll probably stop and try something new. But And I've been doing this job for a long time. But like I said, as of right now, I'm, I'm having a really good time doing it and enjoying myself a lot. All right. Thanks for that question, man. Uh, Jose Ricardo Mies writes, did you watch that? Did you watch What If Episode 8 and Ultron Vision was scary than MCU Ultron? Um, I did. And I'm a little bit torn about it because, and I talked about this on the show a bit, while the episode itself was great, you know, what if Ultron won, right? And got his hands on the Infinity Stones and all that kind of stuff. The Ultron story is great. It, it just is. It's great. That, that what if episode. I personally did not like the way it ended because the way they ended it transformed the what if series from a cool, fun, anthology, bunch of little independent, separate, cool stories back to doing the only thing Marvel knows how to do, which is make everything interconnected. Like, Marvel simply lacks the balls to do something that isn't the same thing that they've always done, which is everything has to be interconnected. And the ending of that Ultron episode, to me, it changed what if from a cool anthology series to yet just another thing where every episode's actually connected because Marvel doesn't know how to do anything else. Marvel, Marvel doesn't like 
it's like their brains start to fry whenever they start try to conceptualize doing something that's just its true own standalone story. And as a huge Marvel fan, I find that a little frustrating. Because I see what DC is doing, and I'm a little bit jealous. Because DC steps out, and they make this Joker movie totally separate from anything else that they've been doing, and truly make it a totally separate thing. And that damn movie got nominated for Best Picture, won Joaquin Phoenix Best Actor of the Academy Awards. It, um, it made over a billion dollars at the box office. It was like one of the biggest triumphs they've ever had. And Marvel can't muster that same type of courage. And it, it frustrates me a little bit. And again, I say that saying that the episode itself was really, really good. I, it just it disheartens me that, oh, okay, so what if is it really nothing different? It's just the same thing that you've always done. Everything's a connected story. Uh, I just like to see them break out of that mold, which is what I thought what if was supposed to be. Anyway, that's just my opinion. And again, the episode was really good, so whatever. All right, Lazy Guy writes, Thoughts on RTD, Return to Doctor Who? Honestly, Lazy Guy, I don't watch Doctor Who, I don't care about Doctor Who, and I don't even know who RTD is, so I, I unfortunately can't, can't address that. Don't get me wrong, I'm not crap-talking Doctor Who, I just, literally, I just don't watch it, that's all. All right, Crazy Genius writes, Also, what's the percentage of unsubscribed viewers, what's the percentage of unsubscribed viewers compared to subscribed viewers? Um, our channel, this is actually one of the really big things that we're really successful at and, and do very, very well, as a matter of fact. Like, put it this way, YouTube always says that they really like seeing a high number of subscribers to, like, when you look at your viewer numbers, how many people subscribe are subscribed to your channel versus how many people are not. And a lot of even the great YouTube channels where I say, like, hey, only, like, 30% of you guys are subscribed to the channel. We do, because to YouTube, they say that really is an indication of engagement, that people like the channel, they want to become a part of it as a part of the community and all that kind of stuff. And we rank very, we're close to 70%, which is much higher than most YouTube channels. We are close to 70%, and I've always been uh, very uh, proud of that number. So, yeah, there's that. All right, next up. Vic Power writes. So, John Watts will direct Brad Pitt and George Clooney's newest movie. What percent would you give the possibility of the director pitching the Mr. Fantastic and Doctor Doom roles to his stars? Uh, probably pretty slim. I don't think, look, not to be ageist <laughs> at all, because I love George Clooney and I love Brad Pitt, but I don't think they're looking for a 57-year-old or a 60-year-old uh, Franklin Richard. Franklin's his son, sorry. Reed Richard. Franklin is his mutant son. Um, I don't think they're looking for a 57 and 60-year-old uh, to do that. So, and remember, ultimately, that's going to be Kevin Feige's decision. I mean, I know I've heard directors too say, oh yeah, Kevin Feige left, let me, yeah. I've heard from insiders that Kevin Feige absolutely has final word on who is and who is not cast. Uh, I mean, they'll let the directors do it, but Feige has to sign off on it. It has to be okay with it. And I really don't think they're looking to start off a brand new franchise with a 60-year-old lead. Um, don't get me wrong. I don't think they're going to do Fantastic Four Babies and have like a 25-year-old Reed Richards. But I don't think... Now, that doesn't mean that we couldn't see George Clooney or Brad Pitt in some kind of role in the movie. I just don't think you're going to see them uh, as Doctor Doom or as Mr. Fantastic. So, But I hey, nothing's impossible, Vic. Nothing's impossible. All right. Next up, uh, Jao Fer uh, Fernandez writes, 
Now coming to its 11th and final season, do you have thoughts about The Walking Dead? Were you ever a fan? I was. I mean, I was never a huge fan. Like, I would watch it, and I would continue to watch it, but I stopped watching it back when they captured Negan. That was the last time I watched it. It was when uh, Rick... You know, they won and they captured Negan and the season ended with Negan in the cage. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm good now. I think that was two seasons ago, I think. But I kind of gave up on it after that, honestly. It, it, and it hadn't really been doing... Like, I still enjoyed it, but it wasn't really doing anything for me for a while. Uh, but listen, it has been an incredibly successful show. Incredibly. There's just no way to look back. Like, years from now, as they look back on you know, Walking Dead and all that kind of stuff. There's no way you look back and not look at it as an absolute phenomenal cultural movement kind of success. It was amazing on that level. But yeah, I kind of I kind of burned out on it a couple years ago. All right, Tyler Quill writes, uh, who would you cast as Wario and Waluigi in the upcoming Super Mario Brothers movie? I, I don't do, Tyler, just so you know, I don't do X actor and X role fan casting stuff. So hey, uh, and, and by the way, it's going to be animated, so it really doesn't matter. Like, I, I don't really care about getting certain celebrities to do it. I much prefer to see professionally dedicated, trained, specifically dedicated voice actors do the roles and voices of these characters. I know you need to get some celebrities in there to market the film, but this one's already filled with celebrities. So I, I don't really care, and I kind of hope it's not a celebrity. Eh, but that's just me. All right. Last question that I have time for today, guys, because we've gone about an hour. This one comes to us from Kyle Arking, who writes, might be too late, but what is the last book slash audio book that you either read slash listened to and or what did you think of it? Uh, it was the new Star Wars. Um, crap, now I can't even remember the name of it. The new one, uh, the High Republic era one. That's right. So the last one was the first book in the New Republic era. Um, I liked it. I didn't love it, and I never felt motivated to go on and continue reading the other ones. Not that I think it was a failure or anything. It just, uh, that was all right. It just didn't really, you know, do anything super special to me. I'm glad I, I listened to it, but yeah, that was the last one that I listened to. All right, guys, that'll do it for this special little uh, From Vegas, bad sound quality and all. Uh, podcast here on the John Campia podcast feed. Guys, thanks so much for sending your questions. And you know what? I might do this again tomorrow. I think I might do this again tomorrow because there are still a lot of questions I never actually did get. I mean, there's a lot of other questions people sent in that I didn't get a chance to get around to. So maybe I'll make, make another one tomorrow. Anyway, guys, thank you so much for being subscribers to the podcast. Really appreciate it. Uh, don't forget on Monday on the YouTube channel, we're going to be doing our Venom open spoiler discussion. Cannot wait to do that. Cannot wait to talk about Venom with you guys. All right, guys, that'll do it for me. Thanks for being here. My name's John Campion. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye.